Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, I'm really excited to get into God's word. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Thanks for being a part of what God is doing here. Before we get started, um, coming up this spring, we are, one of our elders, one of the church elders is up for taking his rotation off the team. And that means there's an open spot. And so I want to encourage all of you who call Fierce your home. If there's someone you want to nominate, if there's someone you've been thinking about and they, you think they maybe meet the characteristics, the character qualities of an elder, you can go to fierce.church slash elders. There's a little tab there that you can learn all about what we believe about eldership and you can nominate somebody. And that doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, they're in, it just means you know, that's, that's a great direction for the rest of the elders to look at and consider. And so some people might be too humble to put their name forward. Some of you want to put their name forward for them. That's, that, that's a way that that could work. Um, we've been in the series called Ignited Disciples. And we've been going through, hey, what does it mean to be an on-fire Christian? If we look at the, the, the New Testament, here's what we did. We took all the words, the, all the times disciple appears in the New Testament, just kind of threw them out on a whiteboard, and then we started to arrange them all. And they really came into four different categories. And they are, you've got a little card right on your, near your seat that might show you them. Uh, they're companion confidants of Jesus. That means they walk with and talk with Jesus. They're cross-bearing conquerors. That means they know, they walk in the reality that they already have the victory, but it also costs a difficult cross while still here on planet Earth. They're mentoring friends, meaning within the body of Christ, they are being little Jesuses to one another, and they're servant ambassadors to the world in Jesus' name. That's what it means to be an ignited disciple. And one of the reasons we've been talking about this is because it's time to renew our membership or our ownership. We call it ownership because members have privileges, but owners have responsibilities. So yes, it's true when you become a member here, that's a biblical idea. There's members of churches in the New Testament. All that means is you're saying, hey man, I'm all in. Like, I want to do this thing. I want this to be the, the place that I grow. I, I want to not only go here, but I want to contribute to what happens here. And how we look at that is we say, what are the things God asks disciples? So just clarify, it's disciples. If, if you're not a Christ follower, like, you really don't have to worry about this because you never made this commitment to Jesus anyway. But if you did, we're saying, hey, here are the things that Jesus says disciples do. And we're saying, we're all accountable for that. We're all responsible for that. And so we're inviting, every, every few years we invite people to say, hey, I want to go all in. I want to become an owner. On the back of this page, you see what these six things are that we ask you to commit to if you're going to be an owner. Personal prayer and Bible study, church attendance, Praying for and inviting people to church, serving at church, Bible-centered fellowship with other Christians, sacrificial systematic giving. Let me give you an illustration. It's, it's football season, but everybody loves football, right? So you know about this. There's a difference though between watching football on your couch or in the stands and playing football, right? Both parties are enjoying it, but they're experiencing very different things. I don't play much football nowadays, but when I was a kid, we would play football in the backyard. And there is an exhilaration to playing football that even when I'm watching very good teams, it's not quite the same feeling. Well, when we decide, hey, I want to go all in, I'm owning it, I'm doing these things. They're not extra biblical. These are just the Bible things that Jesus has asked us to do. What we're saying is, I want to be on the field. I want to be part of doing the things. Now, if we're just wanting to watch, if we're just going to sit in the stands, that's okay to do that, 
We just want to clarify during the ownership process, just so you know, you're, you're in the stands, just so you know. Like the, 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 the football players, they get to play, but they also have to do things the people in the stands don't have to do, right? Like the people in the stands, they don't have to go to training camp. They don't have to, like, they don't have to practice for any games. They don't have to get hit by anybody. And so all we're really saying when we're saying, hey, you know, if you want to become a member, we want to encourage you to take that step in your spiritual journey because it will help you. It's not because, guys, honestly, we do not like need a list somewhere with people's names on it. This is all for the purpose of discipleship. It's to help people take their next step toward Jesus, which is our entire mission. And so what we're saying is, hey, if you want to sit in the stands, I just want you to know because I'm accountable as a pastor. Okay, God's word says that um, those of us who teach better recognize that we're going to be judged more strictly. So as a pastor and with the rest of the elders, I just want to know who I'm accountable for. And if, if, you're, if you are a, a viewer, and it's totally cool to be a viewer at first, if, but if you want to really do the discipleship thing, I just want to I say this respectfully and lovingly, dear heart, you got to get on the field. You got, what are you doing? There? What are you doing over there, man? Like, this is where it's fun. Like, you got to get out here. This is where it's happening. This is where, I mean, yeah, you're gonna get some more bruises, but hey, it's a way different game out here. So we're gonna be talking about that over the next three weeks. And I just want, wanted to give you a heads up so you see this thing. You don't have to do anything with this today, but I just want you to know what this is uh, so that we're all reminded. Or if you're new, to it, you're new to it, you're hearing about it with understanding. Let's talk today about confidence. I wanna talk about the stories that stole your confidence. Every one of us maybe struggles with confidence from time to time, and it's kind of a big deal. So we're going to look at the word that can be translated confidence or boldness, and it's parase. This appears over 20 times about the ways disciples respond in the New Testament, meaning this is, this is like a key thing for disciples to do. They have to have this boldness. They have to have this confidence. And one of the things they're confident about, one of the things they're bold about is just the message. It's just Jesus is God's rescue plan. They're bold about that. And when we say bold, that, that word can also be translated. It just means kind of like matter of fact is the sense of it. It just means candor. It just means, hey, I'm just gonna say this. I'm just gonna step into this. I'm just gonna confidently say, Jesus is God's rescue plan. Like that's, that's what I believe. That's, that's what a Christian says. They say, I believe Jesus is God's rescue plan and I'm gonna be confident about it. Now, it's not just about the message of Christ, though. It's also about everything that Christ calls us to do. So if we don't take confident steps in the directions that Jesus would lead us to, we're just going to miss out. I mean, some, some of you know that Michael Scott quoted Wayne Gretzky and said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Well, that, that turns out to be true. But if we even just take one shot, our odds go up that we might make the goal. If we take three shots, our odds go up even more. If we take 20 shots or 100 shots, even if we don't make it, our odds go up that we're going to make the goal. When we don't operate in confidence, we begin to live with regret after a while. But here's why. I think we all wrestle with this from time to time. There's certain stories that you tell yourself or somebody told you that steals your confidence. Author John Deloney said this, the stories we tell ourselves are powerful because we hear them in our own voice. Do you know that if I try to compliment you, you might believe me kind of, most of us, you might believe me, but you're gonna believe you more than me 
Because your voice in your head is more authoritative than anybody else. You listen to yourself all day. That's why some of you, you have a really hard time receiving compliments. Somebody will try to, hey man, you know, I really like that outfit. You're like, oh well. And part of you, like your heart just like, boop, it just pops up this deflector shield. Like, ah, I kind of received that. Because for some reason, our voices are very loud and we know everything that's wrong with us and we know what everybody ever told us or we told us about what we weren't good at. We believe us, this is really important for the message, we believe us more than others. But what if we're wrong? What if, what if that's just a false story? What if that's not even true? And so we're not stepping out in confidence and boldness and we're missing a lot of harvest because of it. We've all got stories. I'm sure this is true of you somewhere. You've got stories about your ability. Like maybe you were eight or you were 10 and you were like, well, you know what? I mean, I, I just did bad at that game. I'm just, I'm just no good, good at sports. I'm just not good at that. You told yourself a story. I'm just, I'm just no good at computers, man. Look, I just, I just can't, like, I can't do cars. I can't do technological things. I just don't do good with that. Well, maybe that's true, but maybe that's just a story that somebody said and now you're kind of stuck. Hey man, I don't, I, I just can't save money. No matter what I do, I just can't save money. Or I'm no, I'm no good at tests. I can't start. I'm not the kind of person that could step out on my own and start a business. That's not what I could do. Or I'll bet you this is true. For some of us, every time you go to the beach or you go to the pool or you go to the gym, there's certain parts of your body that you feel insecure about. That in your mind, there's this little like, this is my story about this. Like, I don't like this. Now, the truth is no one else thinks that. No one else even knows that. In fact, if we lined up 10 people and said, point out something weird about them, they wouldn't pick the thing that you're thinking. <laughs> but you just have this story. You're just like, this is my thing, and so I, I'm, I'm not confident about that. And so you pull back. We tell stories about ourselves. We say, I know there's other people that have options, but I don't have options. We tell stories of like, if I would have been a better kid, maybe my parents would have split up. We tell stories about ourselves. We say, I'm just, look, this is just how I am. I'm lonely and I don't take risks like that. And I couldn't, God couldn't really use me to help anybody else. That's just not my story. That's not the things that go on with me. I've got all these regrets and it doesn't go that way for me. And it makes life worse because we miss milestones. We miss these, these, these progress markers that could have been ours. And I really think, Every one of us, we all struggle on some level with maybe I made a mistake, maybe something went wrong in the past, and now I'm held back and I'm afraid to move forward. About a year after a church split that my wife and I were a part of, it's a church we started, and after, after it's a long story, some of you have heard of it. Anyway, a year later, the church had collapsed, and I'm walking around down the road near a place where we had held that portable church for a time. And as I look over at that space, this, this voice, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if it was Satan himself. I don't know if it's just one of those, you know, when you just have an involuntary thought that you're like, where did that come from? But I just, this, this voice in my head really loud. Well, what's the use? And it was like a deflated, like you shouldn't even try because that's what you get. And I, I even recognized right away, I was like, that can't be God. <laughs> That's, God wouldn't say that kind of thing. But there was this pressure to like, you should stop believing, stop moving forward. Carter, I know that you feel like you're called to be a pastor, but you just, you jack that up, man. You better stop. And we've all got stuff like that. That is a story from the past that says, don't, don't, don't you believe, don't you step out. 
because then you're in for it. And then it's going to be worse than it is. And then everyone's going to see, just like you suspected, that you couldn't do it. We're going to find today, though, is that simple, faith-filled confidence. Simple, faith-filled confidence. Somebody say simple. Simple, faith-filled confidence produces spirit-blessed results. Some of you guys know about my buddy, the Apostle Peter. We're not really technically buddies yet, but I think we're going to be tight when I get to heaven. But anyway, he had a really hard time, man, because he was always putting his foot in his mouth when he was around Jesus. He, and he, he, you know, he's just kind of a braggart. He's just kind of arrogant. And so, I mean, he goes from rebuking Jesus till the night before Jesus dies, a few hours before he's going to deny Jesus. He's like, hey, Lord, look, 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 man, here's my story. I'm never going to deny you. And Jesus is like, Peter, <laughs> for the rooster crows, man, you're going to deny me three times. You even know me. You're, you, you're not really quite understanding your story right Peter, well, that happens. And then Peter does, he changes his story. He's like, man, I was just in the wrong story. And he goes back to fishing. He's like, I'm gonna go with my old story. My old story is better. I'm gonna go back there. I feel really bad. Now, Peter did change his story, as we're gonna see in a couple minutes. The story changed, but two things had to happen for him to change that story. One, he had to meet the risen Christ. And Christ had to give him new, reorienting instructions, saying, don't pay attention to these stories. Here's, your sto- Here's my story for you, Peter. Go this way. And then he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to do what Peter couldn't do, had, had to make Peter the man he couldn't be apart from the Holy Spirit's power. And my friends, that's part of the recipe for you and me. We need to encounter Jesus, encounter his will for our lives, get refocused maybe on the plan, and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we need to get back on it. So now, here we're gonna find, okay, beginning book of Acts, Peter and John, okay, now they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're doing what God wants them to do. And this, you know, this man comes begging. They're like, look, man, I ain't got any money, but why don't you just get up and start walking? Cause you've been, you can't walk for 40 years. Why don't you just get up and start walking? And everybody hears about it. And now the authorities that crucified Jesus, they hear about it. And so they bring them in and they're, they're getting a little nervous. Like, oh my gosh, we just put this guy to death. And now, now all this is happening. So let's pick it up. Acts chapter four, verse 13. The members of the council were amazed to see how bold, somebody say bold, bold. That's that word confident. Peter and John were and to learn that they were ordinary men of no education. They realized then that they had been companions of Jesus. They're like, oh no. But there was nothing they could say because they saw the man who had been healed standing there with Peter and John. So they told them to leave the council room and they started discussing among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows this extraordinary miracle has been performed by them. And we can't deny it. But to keep this matter from spreading any further among the people, let's warn these men. Never again to speak to anyone in the name of Jesus. So they called them back in and told them that on no condition were they to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Let's just pause right there. Do you know that your spiritual enemy, life, the world, maybe even your own stories, but definitely your spiritual enemy has a plan to shut down your confidence. He wants to shut it down. He's like, by no means can you say anything now. You are not to move forward with this. But man, you know what's going to happen. There's, there's threats, there's danger. You should not move forward with this. Now, Peter, once upon a time, he ran. He's like, I don't even know the man. That was his story. But you know, Peter and John now, they're, they're a little bit wiser. They're a little bit more full of God. And they're like, I'm ready for this one. I'm ready. The time's coming around again. And watch this. I'm ready for this. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, you yourselves judge 
which is right in God's sight, to obey you or to obey God. For we cannot stop speaking of what we ourselves have seen and heard. He was ready. He's like, look, man, I know I feared you guys before. <laughs> no, never again. I've been with the risen Jesus. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. He's given me my instructions and I am going. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Hey man, you can kill me just like you killed him. But now Jesus is already like risen from the dead and that's a thing now. So you just go right ahead, do whatever you gotta do, but I'm doing what God has called me to do. Confidence, boldness. I think some of us today, we just need to make a quality decision. I am gonna do what it is in my heart to do no matter what anybody says. I'm just gonna keep on going because I don't need everybody's approval. And in fact, there's gonna be some authorities that even come against me and say, stop it, stop it. I'm not talking about doing something crazy. I'm just talking about something, something normal, some dream, some, some purpose, some next action that God has put in your heart. So the council warned them even more strongly and set them free. I wonder what they said when they warned them even more strongly. Like, well, we earnestly insist though that you don't say it. They're like, no, whatever, dude. So they, so they saw that it was impossible to punish them because the people were all praising God for all that had happened. The man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed was over 40 years old. But they did threaten again, didn't they? See, the resistance doesn't stop just because we decide at one point to move forward. It doesn't stop. They're gonna keep on saying it. They're gonna keep on threatening. Not a lot of it's empty threats, but they're gonna keep on threatening and saying, don't you obey God. Don't you do it. You stop right there. Don't you believe again. You remember what happened last time. No more. You never want to be put in that position again. Let's talk about how to get your confidence back. How to get your confidence back. Number one, huddle up. Huddle up. How to get your confidence back. First, these guys were so smart, they huddled up. See, this is, this is the age in the book of Acts where all the believers were together. They're sharing everything in common. So they just run back to the people. They run back to their peeps. They run back to their crew. As soon as Peter and John were set free, they returned to their group and told them what the chief priests and elders had said. When the believers heard it, now this gets, gets we're gonna explain it in a minute, but just flow with it. They all joined together in prayer. So they go to the group, they start, hey man, I know what we need to do, let's pray. And they say, master and creator of heaven, earth and the sea and all that is in them, by means of the Holy Spirit, you spoke through our ancestor, David, your servant. When you said that, he, now they start to quote Psalm two, which is a messianic Psalm. This song, Psalm is about the fact that can't nobody oppose God or his Messiah. That's what it's about. That's what it's about, been about for generations. And they're like, oh, I know what this scripture is about. It's about things like right now. You can't stop God. Somebody say, you can't stop God. Quoting Psalm 2, they say, why were the Gentiles furious? Why did the people make their useless plots? The kings of the earth prepared themselves and the rulers met together against the Lord and his Messiah. And they apply it to Herod, Pontius Pilate and their current situation. For indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together in the city with the Gentiles and the people of Israel against Jesus, your holy servant whom you made Messiah. They gathered, they gathered to do everything that you by your power and will had already decided would happen. Bad things happen. And these guys are saying, God, first, we remember who you are. Remember that unlike these, these council leaders, you're the God of heaven and earth. We, we, we just want to pause together as a group. We want to huddle up and we want to recognize where the power is. The power is not with these human authorities. The power is with God. It really doesn't matter what the humans think. But we also want to recognize that even things that seem like they're working against us, even disadvantages, I mean, guys, this is huge. What he's saying is, God factors in opposition to himself and to you and I in how he glorifies himself. 
Like he always sees it coming. He's like, well, what are you gonna do, man? I pre-planned this. You people think putting Jesus to death is gonna stop my plan? That was my plan. So how does that apply to you and I? When you and I are experiencing opposition, we're getting ready to step out in boldness and in faith, and you begin to be like, oh, getting some rapids here. When that begins to happen, we're, we're tempted to think, well, I guess that's not God or it would have been smooth sailing. No, baby, the way God brings about his own glory most of the time is he planned on the opposition. He's gonna use the opposition to bring about who he wants you to become in addition to whatever he's trying to do. See, for God, it's usually about who he's trying to get you to become. Last summer, many of you know that I went on a sabbatical. And, and for a pastor that hasn't gone on a sabbatical before that for 14 years, there was just some hurts and nicks and cuts that needed healed. That was part of the purpose. And so I'd spend hours every day with Jesus and I'd be, you know, writing in my journal. And, and part of it, you know, for the first several weeks, probably the whole three months, but for the first several weeks, at least, there's a lot of just outpour. There's like, God, you know, by the way, why did you allow this to happen? And why did you let that happen, God? And I, I mean, am I psycho? Do we miss something here? Why, why did that happen? Because I didn't understand this opposition, God. Why did you do this? And you know, he's so gentle and he's so gracious. And one of those days as I'm asking him that in a, in a real fatherly, affectionate way, he asks me a question. And the question was, how could I get it wrong? Not me. He's asking me, how could he get it wrong? He's saying, Carter, what do you, I mean, you tell everybody that you believe I'm sovereign. Do you think I'm occasionally sovereign? Am I sometimes sovereign? Or am I actually Lord of everything? And I am catering every single circumstance in your life, even the hard and bad stuff that you think is absolutely bad in an absolute sense. God says, all of that was part of my plan. I work everything. I keep you in my will. That's hard. That's hard to think about when hard things have happened to you. But then again, that's what happened to the Messiah. That's what happened to these disciples. So it, it, it might make sense it would happen to us. Think about it this way. I could, I could you know, I'm, I'm not very much of an artist, but I could take some paint and I could take a white canvas and I could like finger paint on that canvas. <laughs> and it, you know, it'd be pretty dumb, look pretty dumb. But then a real artist, a really skilled and talented artist, they could come and they'd be like, all right, I'm gonna keep that and now I'm gonna do this. And they'd start painting this thing and it would look beautiful. It would look amazing. And it would still have my weird fingerprints in it, but they just took it and they made it something that is beautiful and powerful and holy. That's what God does with our difficulties, with our opposition. He's like, no, no, no. See, I already planned. This was always a part of the painting. I already knew this was supposed to happen and I'm making it beautiful. You don't have to worry. You don't have to know how to paint well. God says, you don't have to know how to fix your life. All you need to do is confidently dunk your hand in that paint and splat it on the canvas. You just go. You just believe. You just be confident. I'll take care of the threats. So what do we do? Well, when it comes to the gospel, that means we're confident about communicating to people. We don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be some famous YouTube apologist. You don't have to know how to explain everything about Jesus. All you really need to be able to say in honesty, in candor, is Jesus is God's rescue plan. Jesus, I don't know what you want me to tell you. 
I, I, can, I, I, I hope that you can find the answers you're looking for, but here's what I know. I know Jesus is God's rescue plan. I know that he, that's what he did for me. He rescued me from the penalty of my sin. And you can believe that whatever you're doing, God can use you. You can step into it and say, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna believe like a child. I'm just gonna do it boldly, but simply. Like, I'm not gonna make it overly complex. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just going to believe and step out. And you and I can decide, it doesn't matter if I got one thing wrong. I'm not disqualified. It doesn't matter if I got 80 things wrong. Why? Because God is a really good artist. He doesn't need you to get anything right. In fact, if you remember, the way you enter the kingdom is admitting you have nothing to bring to begin with. You didn't get anything right to get saved. So why would you need to keep things right to move forward? God doesn't need perfection. So these guys huddle up, they come together. And the benefit of coming together is you get to share the defeats or the, or the trials or the difficulties, but you also get to share the victories. And sometimes the people you huddle up with are better at pointing out the victories than you are. That's why it's so important for us to be mentoring friends. This is why it's so important to be around people that are not, not just like nominal, like they categorically are Christians, but I mean, when you're around them, they're talking about the good things of the kingdom of God because they're gonna point out sometimes what you cannot see. When we share, here's, here's, here's the threats that I'm facing. Here's the difficulties that I'm exposed to. See, friends have a way of being like, well, yeah, I know that's the story you're telling yourself. But what about this story? And we're like, oh, I wasn't really paying attention because I can't hear that. Because I'm thinking about all my negatives and my voice is very loud in my head and your voice is quiet. And so you get around Believers, and they start talking about the good things of God. Well, think about the way God is using this only in your life. Think about the way God is using you. See, I feel like you're not seeing this, and you're not seeing this, and you're not seeing this. Here's a little pro tip. When your friends begin to contradict you with truth, listen hard, because they're right. You might be right-ish about some things, but you're only seeing the negative stuff, just like you can only see the body parts that you don't like. You're only seeing the negative stuff, and God has sent your friends. He says, huddle up. I want to show you what's good here because we're all stronger together. Let me give you a little, um, an, an appropriate application for the age that we're in. There might've been once upon a time in a different generation, folks, you know, they weren't very empathetic. I can imagine, I can think of people in previous decades where you tell them you're going through a trial and they would be like, well, it sucks to be you. And they, you know, buck up and move on. And that was not really representing the heart of Christ. It seems to me now in this generation, it's kind of like the pendulum has swung the other way. And everybody on some level, not everybody, but I'm being hyperbolic, lots of folks have this value of, look, man, I don't want you to try to give me any advice. I don't want you to tell me to buck up. I just want you to feel it with me. Eh, okay. But now you've gone the other way because Jesus never felt sorry for anybody. He empathized with them. He's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel that compassion. He had compassion on the people. But he didn't enter in and be like, yeah, man, wow, this sucks, end of story. I'm just gonna feel how sucky this is with you. Can you imagine like Jesus doing that with the, with the disciples? Yeah, huh, I don't know what you're gonna do. Yeah, I guess just feel bad. No, see, there's something in every one of us. Every one of us has this, this thing that, guys, it a little bit enjoys a pity party. It a little bit enjoys well, poor old me, I'm just the victim. You have, to be sure, let, let's go halfway in. You have hard stuff, absolutely. 
but you are well able to conquer this land. And the best thing we can do as friends sometimes is saying, I hear that story, but you're talking like that's the end of the story. And there's more story here. What's true is that with God, all things are possible. With God, there's some purpose in this and you can make it through. So as friends, when, when people come to bring you problems, I mean, this is kind of an art more than, you know, like a three-point deal of how to do it. But when people come to you with their problems, there's gotta be a like, I'm gonna love you, but I'm not just gonna get in that pit and sit there with you. I'm not just gonna like weep forever and pretend God isn't real. I'm going to encourage you. That's a true story. Let's lay over some more truth on it so that we have a better picture. Somebody say amen. amen. What do we do then? Then number two, they prayerfully request, we prayerfully request where we need courage. Verse 29, and now Lord, take notice of their threats that they have made and allow us your servants to speak your message with all boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and grant the signs, grants that wonders and miracles may be performed through the name of your servant, Jesus. What they need to do and what we need to do when you're lacking confidence, you need to get clarity about where you need confidence. Okay, what exactly am I asking God to do? Where do I need confidence in? So for me, it was, God, I need to be confident that you can use me again after that first church failure. And it, it took 10 years of praying. It wasn't, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't like, well, get confidence and go. No, it was, God, I need, there's, there's some things that were broken in me and I need you to fix them. I need you to restore them. I need you to slowly give me confidence. But it was specific. Maybe for some of us, one of your prayers needs to be, I need to no longer live by this old story. I'm stuck in this like childhood story that I need to get out of Jesus. And the truth is, I can't do it without you. I need to recognize when my enemy is trying to pull me down. We need to get that new instruction like Peter got from Jesus. Okay, Lord, I've been through this. Clearly, there's some reason you, you, you allowed this to happen in my life. What do you want me to do now? Where do you want me to step confidently now? And this is the key question, my friends. Look at your life right now. What are the next best steps that you could take, but you could take them confidently? You see, I'm, I'm, I'm not, if I know even just one step that I'm supposed to take, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not gonna settle for just being timid anymore. If I know, then I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna bold face do it. I'm gonna say, hey, look, man, I'm gonna be like those first disciples. I'm stepping into that. And then I'll take a next step. And then I'll take a next step. But I'm stepping where I see to step. I'm not waiting. Honey, God does not tell you the how 99% of the time. He's not gonna tell you what steps three, four, and five are. He's gonna say, confidently, boldly, step the step that you know. Because that way, you have to trust him. Somebody say trust. Well, Carter, I don't wanna trust God. You may have the wrong religion. If that's the case, <laughs> you actually have the right one. You're just thinking about it wrong. Confidence, not only steps boldly, it prays boldly. It prays, God, you got to move. God, you got to do this. Number three, take bold, fearless, spirit-led action when it's time. They, they understood they need, like they cry out together. They, they got together. They did it together. That's what, I, love, I love to see that when it's here at church, sometimes you see it at Meyer. You know, you hear somebody's struggling with something. Hey, let's pray right now. Put the vegetables down. Let's pray right now. Because that's what the believers do. Pray right now. God, we need you to move. This thing is against me. Move, God. We want to pray boldly. I need God to move. And Holy Spirit, we need you in it. See, this is what they understood. They had the conviction of their need for the Holy Spirit. The last thing God really needs is for you and I to just go off on our own again. 
That's not going to help. They knew, they knew if the spirit of God himself doesn't do certain things in our reality and do certain miracles that these people need to see, if he doesn't do that, it doesn't matter what we do. And we need to understand, my friends, there's just things that God needs to do around us. So maybe there's somebody in your life and you, you, maybe you've tried to share with them your perspective that, um, hey man, this is what happened to me. And I know now that Jesus is God's rescue plan. And they're just, you know, there's like, whatever, man, I don't care. I don't receive it. That's fine. That's where they are. But you can begin to pray for miracles in their life. You can begin to pray instead of just like, well, I'm going to keep on knocking on their door. Instead of that, maybe just pull back and say, God, would you do the miracles by the Holy Spirit that they need to see in order for your message to move forward in their heart? Would you make them like, like they're just, you know, they're at work and they're just burnt. Like the spirit of God is working on. And many of you, you've, you've felt that the spirit of God is just working on you and nobody else knows. God, maybe you do that kind of a miracle in their life. Uh, God, you're calling me to take this step. Okay, well, here's what I need you to do. God, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And he might not, but he might. If there's certain things that have to happen, you know what I needed? God, okay, you want me to plant a church 10 years later? I need some people that want to do it. And you know what was there 10 years later? People that were willing to go. Because there's, there's things, I couldn't have done it on your five because God had not brought it about, brought about the possibility yet. Somebody say, I need more than me. I need more than me. Here's why. Because your, your best capacity, you're in mine. You might have a thimble full of capacity. Okay, that was your capacity. You might even have, doggone, you might have a whole barrel full of capacity. We just fill that thing up. But even then, God has oceans of capacity. God has everything you will ever need. Your resources will run out. Your ability to do this, your ability to take us a confident step will come to an abrupt end because you're, you're just flesh, you're just human, you're just out. And God himself has to do it. But good news, God has everything. He has all power. He is infinite. For some of us today, what we really need more than anything is we need boldness. We need to, we need to, identify where's this place that I need boldness. We need to process maybe some old hurts. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to step forward. And then we just need to take action. It's time to take a step. What is the step? For some of us, even right now, some of you listening online, there's something you can think of right now that really you, you suspect God is leading me to do this. And I need to quit hemming and hawing about it. I just need to boldly take a confident step in that direction. Don't worry about knowing all the things. Just take the step. Let's bow our heads. As we're in a prayerful spirit, how many would say today that you believe you're hearing the spirit of God through this message on confidence? You believe that he's showing you there are steps you even need to take. Would you raise your hand for me? As you keep your head down, just raise your hand. We got the right message. There are things that God wants you to be confident about that maybe you've been timid about. Thank you. Lord, we want to admit our, our favorite place is to be doing it with you. We sometimes run out ahead, but we know in our hearts that the best way is to do it when we're holding your hand. And so I pray for clarity. I pray for next steps. And even if it's 10 years that someone has to wait, I pray for a patience while you do inner work and clean things out and patch things up and make straight that which was crooked. 
some of us today as we're praying. The thing you need more than anything is you need to be confident in God's ability to rescue you. You need to confidently and boldly run to Jesus. See, Jesus Christ, it, it sounds crazy. Unlike so many religious people, Jesus Christ is attracted to sinners. He seeks them out. He's looking for them. And when we come to Jesus, the worst thing we can do is confidently bring our own good works, bring our own efforts, try to like get our, ourselves in shape and get in line and try to bring him that. Uh, he's not looking for that. What he's looking for is the person that just says, Lord, I don't have anything to bring you. I just need your love and I need you to forgive me. But they do it confidently because they know Jesus is the savior of sinners. He loves to save. He loves to forgive. He loves when we trust. He opens his arms and says, I don't care what you did. I don't care where you've been. I'm the one. I will hold you close. I will get you through. Trust me. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust religion. Don't trust your family. Don't trust something else that you feel like gives you merit before me. Just directly, beeline, confident, run to Jesus. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. If that is you and you haven't yet done that, you haven't run to Jesus, you haven't come to him and said, Lord, I just, I don't have anything. I just need you to actually rescue me. You're God's rescue plan and I believe it. And I want to receive it today. If that's you, pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming to earth and dying on the cross and paying the penalty of my sin. I ask for forgiveness. And I thank you that I can confidently step into your arms and you will never, no, never reject me. Thank you for your glad acceptance. Thank you that you see all my things and you still swoop in to hold me close. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers me for my forgiveness. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, with your head still bowed. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to lift up your hand on the count of three just between you and Jesus, just to show him that you're confident, that you're saying, Lord, I'm confidently coming to you, trusting you confidently that you are who you say you are. One, two, three, hands up. Lord, we trust you. We're coming to you right now. We thank you. We give you praise. We thank you that you love us just as we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.